0: week. I need everybody to give me like a, oh, I need you to feel compassion for me <laughs> because at 825 on Friday evening, I'm a little sleepy. <laughs> we are getting up early again. We are packing lunches. We are driving our brains out. The kids are back in school. Anybody else have kids go back to school this week? Oh, wow. Not many of you, but well, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Those of you that did, I have a, um, I have a love-hate relationship with the coming of fall. I'm a summertime girl all the way. Like, I don't even mind the 100-plus days of heat in Reading. I really don't. Like, I love it. I love everything about summer. I love waking up in the morning and drinking my coffee on the patio. I love walking my dog at night when it's still hot outside. I love not packing lunches and reminding our kids about homework. I love everything, everything about summertime. And... This I always have to take like a deep breath this time of year because it feels like whether you have kids in school or whether your kids are grown out of the house or whether you've never had children in your life, I feel like this time of year is that ramp up time. Is anybody feeling that? Like you're either you're going back to school or your children are or I know church life ramps up massively. That life promo video that you guys saw, that's going to be awesome. We've been working so hard on it and we're so excited about it. Um, Just a little detail. Don't check that website link yet. It's not ready for you, but it will be next week. (laughs) Okay? Okay. Anyways, Um, yes, we're ramping up. It's, It's a busy, busy, busy time of year and um, as we're kind of entering into the time of year where it feels like August hits and then it might as well just be Christmas. That's how I feel. Like it might as well just be Christmas because it flies so fast and there's so much to do between now and then. And so, um, tonight I, I want to actually talk about knowing your why. Like in a season where there's a lot to do, and there's a lot going on, and things get busy and wild, like we need to know our why. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit tonight. But first, I need to tell you a story. Is that okay? I'm going to anyways. Okay. Um, a few weeks ago, actually, it was the end of July. End of July, Eric and Candace were just about to come back from their sabbatical. They were off for about a month, enjoying some family time. And Eric and I had a meeting at the very end of July where I just kind of updated him on lots of things. We were at his house, and his girls were hanging out, and we were, I was just filling him in, like, here's what's happened, this is what we're working on, here's the status of this project, and we had a great catch-up meeting, and it was the first time he thought about work in a while, so I was trying to be kind. I'm like, let's ease into this. I know this could be overwhelming, um, but we had a really great meeting. We were talking tons of details, and dates, and planning, and the life series, and events that are coming up, And it's all stuff that I am really excited about. Like, guys, we have some really fun things coming up, some really exciting stuff. God's doing so much here in the city. He's doing so much here in our home church. It's a lot of things to be excited about. And even still, I left that meeting. And don't worry, I've already told him this. This is not a secret. I left that meeting. I got in my car. I started the car, and this thought entered my brain. I have given my whole life to this place (laughs) why are we doing this again literally that was my thought and not in a again not in a I don't want to do this stuff kind of a way not in a I'm not excited about all of our plans and events and detail things that we're putting together in a way that went hold on a second I just forget like why why are we doing this has anybody had a moment like that before You're right in the middle of the very thing that you spend all of your time doing, and for a second, you can't actually remember, like, why, right? Okay, well, I just kind of, like, put it to the side, (laughs) didn't think too much of it, and then the next week, I was in a meeting with our, our dear Jeremy Riddle. Anybody know Jeremy? Give him a little shout. He's not here. We love Jeremy Riddle. We're we're on our local church team together and I was meeting with Jeremy and I just kind of it kind of came up in conversation. I said, Jeremy, I had this thought and I realized I think it would be a really good idea if at the start of the school year our core team gathers again and just revisits vision. Like, why are we why are we doing what we're doing? And let's you know, we we do this in January. We have a retreat in January and we get together and we pour over stuff and we pray and um and we get you know, fired up about what God's doing. I just think it would be a great time of year to revisit that conversation with our core team. He was like, Yes. If you know Jeremy, he's up for any conversation about the main thing. Like, he's up for any conversation about the main thing. So he's getting all excited and he's like running his hair, hand through his hair, like he does. And he's talking about how everybody just needs to remember we're supposed to be changing the world. That's our why. We're supposed to be changing the world. And I'm like, Yes, Jeremy, that's it. And right as he's preaching about it, we're getting all fired up in our meeting about this, this thought entered my brain. And I know it was the Holy Spirit because it was out of nowhere. And I heard him say, Ecclesiastes is the other side of the coin in a Solomon season. I was like, okay. So I said it out loud to Jeremy. I was like, yeah, and I think think Ecclesiastes is the other side of the coin. He was kind of like... Yeah, and we we kind of went on from there and that was it. And I, but I kind of, I like filed it away. I was like, okay, that's, there's something to it. There's something to it. So the next day I go to our staff meeting and um, I get there. We have an 11 o'clock staff meeting on Wednesdays and we're with our local church staff team. And we always start our meetings by sharing testimonies of what God's doing. And um, every time it blows your socks off and it's awesome. And I heard this really cool story. This really, really cool story about um, a guy in our community who is friends with the director of a large organization. I'm being vague on purpose. A guy in our community is the friend of a director of a large organization in the north state, and and the story is that this organization was undergoing massive uh, restructuring. There was some conflict amongst the leadership, and it was going undergoing a big reconstruction and. In the process of things, the director actually ended up resigning, and all the senior leaders of this big organization kind of disbanded. And the guy in our community who is friends with the director, or the old director, um, heard that this had happened, and they're really good friends. And, And when he heard that this whole organization had fallen apart, which he knew that his friend was called to lead absolutely believed in the the vision of the director, he actually stepped up, gathered a brand new board, reinstated the director, and went to town making this organization come back to life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And what struck me about this story was what, what lengths will we go to when we are connected intimately to a vision and a mission? Like it wasn't even his vision and mission. It was his friends and he dropped everything, lent his strength, did a whole, he was kind of, uh, this, in the story we were, we were hearing about all of the details that had to go into actually getting this organization back off the ground. And, um, and the length that this person would go to because he intimately knows the vision and mission on somebody's life and believes in it. Amazing. Absolutely Amazing. So all of these little things kind of happened within about a week and a half time span. And I was just kind of logging it all together. And in my time with the Lord, I kind of went back and revisited it and just asked, like, God, what, what is this about? Like, I'm so excited about this season in our life. I'm so excited about what you're doing in our community. I'm so excited and honored and privileged that I get to do the work that's in front of me to do. But what are you trying to tell me? Like, what are you trying to tell me? And, and this is what I, I, I felt like he'd said, that Ecclesiastes is the fruit of Solomon's wisdom and understanding separated from the presence and power of God. And so we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit. It sounds intense. It won't be too bad. Um, and we're going to look at the life of Solomon for a second. Is that okay? All right. Okay. So firstly, Solomon's father was King David. King David is the guy who was known as a man after God's own heart. He spent his entire life literally fighting to establish the kingdom of Israel. And it was his dream and his vision to build a temple for the Lord. But along and along, he realized that that actually wasn't his calling. That was gonna be something that, that would happen through his predecessors, but or sorry, his descendants. Um, but King David literally spent his entire life fighting to establish the kingdom of Israel and set the stage for his son Solomon to come and take the throne and enjoy a season of intense prosperity and peace for a long time. Solomon, he being raised by his father, David, when, when we're reading in Proverbs, I love Proverbs. Does anybody else like reading Proverbs? I'm like a rules person anyways. And so anything that tells me what to do, I'm like, thank you. I would rather just know. I'd rather know than have to guess. So I love Proverbs. And in the beginning, when Solomon's talking about wisdom, he often refers back to um, and and directs the reader to actually pay attention to what your mother and father taught you. Pay attention to the wisdom that, that your mother and your father shared with you, which I mean, I mean, we're kind of drawing conclusions here, but I'm guessing that that's because that's what happened in his own life. Like, I, I actually think that David and Solomon had a great relationship. And I think that Solomon learned a lot of what he learned from his father. And, and Solomon, in being raised by his father and inheriting the kingdom of Israel and this time of prosperity, um, I love I love how the Bible just unpacks kind of who Solomon is. And it says that um, at one at one point he asked the Lord to give him above all else wisdom and understanding so that he could rule well in the kingdom of Israel. And the Lord the Lord met him there and promised that he absolutely would. So Solomon took the throne as um, after David died. And right before David died and passed the throne onto Solomon, he brought Solomon into his bedroom and he had a conversation with him about what he expected moving forward. Like, son, this is what I'm giving you, and here's what I expect. So in First Kings 2, verse 2, it says, this is David speaking to Solomon. It says, keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me saying, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So that was David telling Solomon, son, I'm giving you the kingdom. This is your job. This is your job. Keep the commandments of the Lord. Keep his statues, keep his testimonies, stay close and intimately connected with the Lord. And the Lord's promise to us, son, is that we'll never lack a king on the throne of Israel. It's amazing. So Solomon, being the wise guy that he was, stepped up to the plate, asked the Lord for wisdom and understanding to do a great job. And he did. He really did. He accomplished so much much. He accomplished so much. He actually built the the temple that David had in his heart to build. It says of Solomon that the time that he reigned was the absolute wealthiest, most prosperous time that Israel had ever experienced. He had kings coming from far and wide to find out who is this wise man. What does he have to teach us? The lists in the book of Kings, uh, 1 Kings, are hilarious. Like, the way that they measured, like, you're awesome back then was hilarious. You know, like, gold horses and um, things that we could not even imagine having, like, in our daily life. And this is, the entire kingdom is, like, littered with riches, literally. And they enjoyed a time of peace and prosperity. He accomplished so, so much, and yet... And yet, in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, we read Solomon's really dramatic dissertation of how, despite all that he's done and all that he's accomplished, every single bit of it is absolutely meaningless. Is anybody familiar with that book of the Bible? Yeah. After all that he did and all that he accomplished, and he was one accomplished guy. Like literally it says he was the wisest man ever to have lived and who will have ever lived. <laughs> Meaning he was the wisest of them all forever and ever. He accomplished so much. And yet we read this really bizarre, super depressing book of the Bible that talks about how everything that he put his hand too, is absolutely useless and meaningless. The message version of this passage is my absolute favorite because it's the most cynical sounding. I like to envision a very old man sitting on the front porch of his house talking about how the whole world is going up in smoke. So try to imagine that as I read to you because it will make it more entertaining. Here are a few of my favorite lines. What's there to show for a lifetime of work? A lifetime of working your fingers to the bone. And he's shaking his finger at you. One generation goes its way. The next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. So funny. Everything's boring. Utterly boring. I feel like I'm hearing like our kid on a, you know what I mean? Everything is boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. Boring to the eye, boring to the ear. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does someone call out, hey, this is new? Don't get excited. It's the same old story. (laughs) So funny. This This one's really good. This is him talking, I guess to himself. I don't know. I said to myself, self... I know more and I'm wiser than anyone before me in Jerusalem. I've stockpiled wisdom and knowledge. What I finally concluded, though, is that so-called wisdom and knowledge are mindless and witless. Nothing but spitting into the wind. That's a picture. Anybody ever spit into the wind? He's not happy. Um, how encouraging, Solomon. He, he, he was not in a good place okay? He wasn't in a good place. But how did he get there? How do you think he got there? How do you think he went from being the one that inherited this kingdom from his father, David, the man after God's own heart, who who was going to bless all the descendants that come, the Lord was going to bless all the descendants that come from David, just as long as they keep his statutes and his commandments? How do you think Solomon got from being the wisest, most accomplished man on the planet, to saying that everything in life is meaningless. The bummer part of Solomon's story, and there is a bummer, is that after receiving these really strict instructions from his father, and then having been visited by the Lord multiple times, reminding him of the exact same message, he actually completely lost sight of the commandments, and completely defied the Lord altogether. Um, In 1 Kings 11, verse 1 through 6, it says this. King Solomon was obsessed with women. Pharaoh's daughter was only the first of many foreign women that he loved. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite. He took them from the surrounding pagan nations, which God had clearly warned Israel You must not marry them. They'll seduce you into infatuations with their gods. Solomon fell in love with them anyway, refusing to give them up. He had 700 royal wives and 300 concubines, a thousand women in all, and they did seduce him away from God. As Solomon grew older, his wives beguiled him with their alien gods, and he became unfaithful. He did not stay true to his God as as his father David had done bummer bummer the only thing you had one job the only thing you weren't supposed to do bro the only thing do not marry into the nations with pagan gods and he did it anyways what is the difference between solomon and david Because they're both imperfect guys. They both had track records, right? David wasn't perfect. But what was the difference between David and Solomon? If Solomon ended like this, and David ended with still being called righteous in the sight of the Lord, what's the difference between the two? I think the difference is David always knew how to get back to intimacy and connection with God. He always knew how to get back to intimacy and connection. This is a really big deal because it's the presence of God. It's the power in the presence of the Lord himself that actually gives us our why. That's where we find our why. It's in our connection to our maker and our lover that we find out why we are doing what we're doing day in and day out. Why? It's because of the presence of the Lord. We find it in connection and in intimacy with him. And when you step out of intimacy with God, like Solomon did, he literally stepped out of intimate covenant with the Lord and made intimate covenant elsewhere. And the second that he did that, the second that he did that, it's like all the wisdom in the world could not save him could not save him from the favor and the blessing that God had given him. Do you know what I mean by that? Like without intimate connection with God, no amount of wisdom could have saved him from the demise that would come about because of his gifting, because of his favor, because of his wisdom. But this is true for any area of life. Like take any good thing in life, any blessing from the father, anything anything that, that you hold dearly, like your marriage. For example, my husband is here. I love him. We are married five years. If you're married in this room, before you were married, you probably wanted to be married, <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> this is really simple. If you're married in this room, you started in love. I don't know where you're at now, but you started in love. And, and if you've let your marriage become about all of the things that you have to do, taking care of the kids, paying the bills, if you've let anything in your marriage come between you and your connection with your spouse, you've lost your why. And it actually is meaningless. And it feels meaningless when you wake up next to somebody that you have no connection to but you're stressed out about the kids and the bills and the trash can that never gets taken out or whatever your problem is in your house, right? Hey, he does take out the trash, he does. That was not a dig. I would never dig on you in front of all these people. (laughs) We forget that it started in love. We let all the things we have to do, all the things we have to accomplish come between us and our connection and forget that it actually started in love? How about moms? How many moms are in this room? And dads, right? Parents in general. Grandparents, listen. Step-parents, that's me. Parents, how many of you mothers and fathers would say that your children are the absolute blessing of your life? They are the absolute blessing of your life, right? You longed for these children, They were literally birthed out of a place of intimacy. How many of you find that hard to forget when you find yourself sounding like a broken record, asking them to do their homework for the billionth time every day, right? It's easy to forget. It's easy to forget that the very gift and blessing of God on our life, if we're not staying intimately connected with the original vision, which was love, Then, the very blessing and gift that God put in our life is something that we can feel resentful about sometimes. Right? I hear that in Solomon's voice in Ecclesiastes. I hear that when he's talking about how everything is meaningless. What about, like, a CEO? Somebody whose dream was to start an organization or a company and and now you're finding yourself buried in massive lists of to-dos and bills to pay and people to take care of, it's the same for anything. If you can't actually go back to your original vision and remember why you started that company in the first place, if you're in sales and you can't figure out why you believe in the product, you're going to have a really hard time the very gift and blessing that God put in your life, the company he did let you start, the church he did let you plant, the people he did put you in relationship with. If you are out of connection and intimacy, if you're disconnected from, from your actual, the actual vision, then you're going to have a really hard time answering, why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? Your calling, your gifting, your greatest accomplishment, any of it, any of it can feel like a waste of time outside of intimacy. There are some really, really practical things that we can do to stay connected though. And that's a big deal, right? Like we need to learn, okay, if that's true, God, if that's true, then I wanna make sure, I wanna make sure that like David, I can always, always find my way back to connection with him to connection with the lord. I think there's some really practical things that we can learn how to do well that will help us stay connected to our why. The first thing is this, cultivate passion. Cultivate passion. So my husband Jason does a lot of counseling and we love to teach on relational health stuff and so a lot of my examples have to do with relational health. So bear with me. This is applicable in other areas of life too, but Cultivating passion is a really important thing to understand. Like, I think in relationship, people worry when their marriages fade in passion levels, right? Passion is just not the same as it used to be. Like, really good news. That's completely within your control. You actually have to cultivate passion. Jason always says this. Passion is the result of the belief system that says, there's never an end to the exploring I can do. There's never a moment in time, God, where I'll get to the end of knowing who you are. There's always more to discover. There's always more, always, always more to explore. The same is true inside of relationship with people. The second that I decide I've learned all there is to learn about Jason, and he is today who he'll always be, and I've got it all figured out, that is when passion starts to die. So if we're trying to learn how to keep connection and intimacy alive, practice cultivating passion in your relationship with the Lord. There's always more to explore. Do you guys remember? I remember being in this room the very first Friday that I ever lived in Redding, California, undone by how much anticipation I had about knowing more of God. I remember that day. I remember the feeling in my spirit. We can't get too far away from that. No matter how long we know God, no matter how much of our life we've given to serve him, we can't afford to get too far away from, from the main thing. The thing that called us into this place in the first place, the connection with him, the anticipation that there's always more to explore. I think, um, I think about when Jason and I were dating. And we would spend time at his house on the hammock. What? Come on. We would spend time at his house on the hammock. And we would sit on the hammock. Guys, this is real life. This happened. And we would dream about all the things we were going to accomplish together. It felt like the options were Endless for us. And at one point in our dating relationship, he actually said to me, I don't want you to say yes to marrying me unless you feel like your life's opportunities are bigger because of me. Like we can't afford to get into a relationship that doesn't actually feel like more, more than me by myself. Like it has to feel more. And we would sit there on that hammock and we would just daydream about all the possibilities and all the things that God would do through us. And the expectation that, that there's always more to explore and who knows what's going to happen next, like that actually empowered us to make some pretty crazy decisions. <laughs> like that was enough fuel on the fire for us to say yes to a life together that's not actually easy. He was married before. He has three children from his first marriage. We've done some hard things in the last five years, but honestly, sitting there, absolutely cultivating passion in our relationship, choosing to believe that there's always more adventure, there's always more to discover, we're never going to get to the end of knowing one another or knowing the Lord, and the options are endless for us, man, that'll make people do crazy things. <laughs> right? Another, th- another practical thing that we can do to actually stay connected to intimacy and stay connected to our why is to write down your vows. Danny told Jason once, you need to write down your wedding vows so that when things get hard, you know why you made them in the first place. You can remember back. And I think that's so true for anything in your life, anything in your life, any dream, any good gift that God gave you, any vision he gave you for for your life, It's important to write down those encounters with him. It's important to actually record the conversations that you have with the Lord where dreams are birthed and plans are made so that when you get 15 years into running that company that you dreamed about when you were young, you remember why you started. You can actually go back to it. You can revisit the the testimony and your history with God to actually ask yourself, why am I doing this when it's so hard? When it's so much work, why am I doing this? Write down your vows. That's really practical. One other thing that is just always going to be important. We could probably work this into any sermon that any of us ever preach. Don't give up when things get hard. Do not give up when things get hard. You want to, you want to stay connected? Do you want to be like David and always be able to get back to a place of intimacy, do not give up when things get hard. In James 1, we learn and understand that in order to end up in a place where you're lacking nothing in love, you actually have to consider a trial joy. You actually have to have the core belief that I can consider a trial, a hard season, a hard time, joy. Because I know that if I follow the process of perseverance all the way through to the other side, I'm going to end up in a place where I lack nothing in love. It's like David. He made such big mistakes in his life, right? At the bottom of the pit, at the absolute worst part of the story for his life, He picked himself up, there was prayer, there was repentance, there was sackcloth and ashes. He was willing to do whatever it took to restore himself to right relationship with God. Repentance was in his heart. And the really cool thing about David is that he actually put himself back into the position that he knew God called him to, even though he had screwed up. He let repentance, he let the process, the hard time take its course. He persevered through it all and then chose to believe God about the calling on his life. We can learn a lot from that. We have to be willing to never give up in a hard time. Ever, ever, ever. So write down your vows. Write down your vows. Cultivate passion. Don't give up in hard times. Determined to get back to intimacy with God no matter what happens. And connection and intimacy with him are possible because of his son. Every single time. Every single time. So this is a really good, this is a really, um, this is a good time to ask. Like, how are you feeling about life? How are you feeling? What does the world look like to you right now? Does it look like hope? Does it look like you're really aware of the calling on your life? You're really aware of the season that God has you in, the gifts that he's, that he's given you to accomplish what's in front of you to do? Or are you in a season where you're feeling like, meh, <laughs> meaningless? What am I doing? I'm spinning my wheels. One person could never end sex trafficking in Northern California. What if? Are you feeling like you're beating your head against a wall? in the arena that you know God's appointed you to work in? Or are you full of hope? Are you full of connection? Do you actually, are you actually connected in intimacy with the one who gives you your why? Because here's the thing about the book of Ecclesiastes, a lot of it is true. Like actually can relate to a lot of things that Solomon says in that book. I've had thoughts that he's written down many times. Have you ever had these thoughts? I turn my attention to all the outrageous violence that takes place on the planet. The tears of the victims, no one to comfort them. The iron grip of oppressors, no one to rescue the victims from them. Have you ever had thoughts like that? Like, what the heck? Exploitation filters down from one petty official to another. There's no end to it, and nothing can be done about it. Have you ever felt like that? Watch the news, right? It looked long. I looked long and hard at what goes on around here. And let me tell you, things are bad and people feel it. There are people, for instance, on whom God showers everything, money, property, reputation, all they ever wanted or dreamed of. And then God doesn't let them enjoy it. Some stranger comes along and has all the fun. These things happen, right? The world really is a wild place. There are some interesting things happening right now. It would be easy to feel like we are spinning our wheels, God. We are spinning our wheels. But that's only true outside of intimate connection with the presence and power of God himself. Those things are only true if Jesus isn't alive but he is. Jesus is the perfect picture of all this being true. Even unto death, there was redemption. It looked bad, right? It looked real bad. Like he really did die. And just when things looked like they weren't going to get any worse, just when... It looked like the enemy had won the battle that day. He rose from the dead and decided that that wasn't the end of the story. So those things that are written there, those things that are really easy to think about as we watch the news, as we learn about our neighbor who's suffering from cancer, as we are spinning our wheels in our job wondering, oh my goodness, why am I giving so much of my time and energy to something that is so taxing? when we're having a hard time raising kids, when they're going through wild seasons and we don't know what we're doing, none of it is meaningless. Absolutely none of it is meaningless if we are intimately connected with our why. If we are intimately connected with the presence and the power of God. And that's our reality. That's our reality. That we get to wake up and remember every single day So in the midst of all the work that he has set before us to do, we have to stay connected to our maker because his inheritance, his inheritance is reserved for people who will always fight for intimacy, no matter what. So I'm going to pray for you guys. If you want to stand up, I would love to pray for you. I think this is a big deal. During worship today, as I was just remembering um, being in this room for the first time as a Reading resident eight years ago, I just felt the Lord reminding me, like taking me back to the foundations, taking me back to the roots, reminding me of my why. My why hasn't changed. Life has changed dramatically, circumstances have changed dramatically. We have gone through really, really hard times and really, really fun, amazing times. But my why hasn't changed at all. And I don't ever, ever, ever want to get disconnected from my why, ever. I don't think we can afford to, especially now, especially now, because here's the truth. The Lord has put gifts and calls on every single one of your lives that are different and unique. And he has put you in this place at this time for a very specific reason. So we have to be really aware of what it is that he has for us to do, who it is that he's called us to be. If nothing else, we're called to be sons and daughters. If nothing else, we show the world love by learning how to be really good sons and daughters. That's a great job to have. If that's the only job you know you have, do it well. Be blessed. You have done your job. Be a great son. Be a great daughter. But the truth is, as we walk in relationship with him, he is gonna give you vision. He is gonna give you plans. He is gonna reveal his purposes and, and, and pieces of your destiny for you so that you can choose to step into co-laboring with him. We have to be awake to it. We have to be ready and excited to accept do you accept this mission? (laughs) And we can't afford to get too far down the line in our individual missions, offering up our gifts and our talents to serve the Lord. We can't afford to get too far down that line without remembering why we began it in the first place. It's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. The entire planet needs you to know your why. The entire planet needs you to be really okay with who God made you to be and really excited about stepping up to that plate every single day. The entire planet needs you to remember that time that you were weeping on the front row because you were undone by his goodness for the first time. The whole planet needs you to remember your why every day, every day. So we're gonna pray for that tonight. An anointing for remembering our why Holy Spirit, would you, God, would you bless us with a supernatural anointing to keep before us in our vision the reason for our being, God? Would we not forget, Lord, we want to be like David. We want to be like your son, Jesus, that no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, chose intimacy every time. God, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for teaching us how to say yes to you and how to come back to a place of intimacy through repentance. God, I just break off, in Jesus' name, I break off any amount of shame or guilt associated with whatever rough road anybody in this room has walked. And I speak over you tonight, in Jesus' name, because of his blood, you are welcome to come back into an intimate connection with your Father. He is so excited to remind you of your why. And for people in this room tonight who have never understood why they're alive, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come even tonight, Father, and give them a download of what it is that you've created them for, that you've created them for an intimate relationship with you, God that the plans and purposes you have for them are beyond exciting and amazing. That you've actually put greatness inside of each one here, God. I pray that that would ring true in our hearts. Thank you, God, for creating us in your image. Thank you, God, that the gifts and talents that you've given each one of us are pieces of you. God, I pray that you would give us confidence to walk in the person that you've created us to be confident 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 that no matter the trial we can come back to intimacy with you god we thank you for being such a good father we thank you for being such a good father and god in this season in particular as schedules get busy as lives get wild as plans are made and as work increases and as favor increases and opportunities god would you Remind us of our why, God. Remind us of our why. We love you, Lord. We bless your name. We thank you so much for being such a good dad. In Jesus' name, amen.